Hi, this is Susie McGrath. I play Tam Rivor in Star Wars Resistance, and you're listening to Radio Dakar. Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to Resistance, The Mandalorian, and more. Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and this is our review of Star Wars, The Mandalorian. Chapter 15, The Believer. Uh, We are at chapter, well, episode 7 of season 2. We are one week away from the season finale. Um, Hopefully, well, depending on who you talk to, season 2 of 4, perhaps, uh, with other series to come. I'll get into that, too. Um, But what at first seemed like a setup episode for the season finale actually had some really good stuff in it and uh, we'll go over that and get ready for next week with uh you know predictions and guesses uh but this episode was directed and written uh, by rick femiwa who did episode he directed episodes two and six last year and I thought Christopher Yost was the sole writer on episode six or chapter six last year. Um, I think Rick may have co-wrote that one. But regardless, this makes him the first person of color to write by themselves um, a segment of live action Star Wars. Um, and really, if you think about it, you know, Lee Brackett, uh, before she passed away, turned in the first draft of The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, so she's the only woman uh, to write a live-action Star Wars. And some of the stuff um, that she did was still in the movie. Um, I don't know if it's still in print, but there's a book called The Annotated Screenplays, which was the screenplays for the first three movies, the original trilogy, with tons of researched liner notes about um, the evolution of the script and you know what stated and what didn't, and um, you know a lot of things that showed up in later later movies. Um, so I need to get my copy out. It talks about you know um, things from Lee's first draft that made it in. But anyway, so yeah. If, so i mean other than what they kept from her draft i mean this was the first star wars written completely by someone who's not a white guy uh so that was really cool rick is just an amazing director and he's brought incredible action to all three of the episodes he's done i think i uh, heard that he's involved in andor uh, which is the official name now for the cassian series I hope that's the case because we need him to do more Star Wars. Um, uh, Just some things in this episode were incredible. Uh, Before we get into the episode, I'll turn it over to little Han. uh, (laughs) um, Let him offer his perspective on what he liked. And I will be right back with a full review. 
welcome to you probably know season season two Mandalorian episode seven. What's it called? The Believer. Yeah, so my favorite part was um nothing. Just kidding. My favorite part was everything. I can't even explain it because it's like a 53-minute show. Yeah, so what was your favorite part of it? I liked when Slave 1 dropped the seismic charge. Oh, yeah, I love that part. Yeah. Yeah, you can figure out why I was so excited. Yeah. So let's get into the episode. Um, you know, last week, um, Din Djarin went to, back to Navarro to seek out Cara Dune, who's now a marshal with the New Republic, um, to find out where um, Mayfield, uh, Migs Mayfield, played by Bill Burr um, last season, is um, being kept after um, being caught by the New Republic for the whole uh, prisoner breakout. Uh, she mentioned he was on the Karth and Chop Fields. So, you know, they knew they were going to a new planet. It's funny because I thought Chop Fields would be like some sort of reaping or harvesting part of a planet. You know, I was imagining like these, these huge wheat fields, like um, the classic look for Dantooine. And, um, you know, he's having a huge, like a huge scythe. There's, you know, some sort of, uh, droid machinery, but no, they mean chop as in like, um, like a chop shop. <laughs> uh, they are literally cutting down old TIE fighters when we first see them. Um, so yeah, that's different. And, um, you know, the, again, more unique planets this season and the volume just allows for amazing range on this show uh, so you know you got the kind of the smoky gloomy skies and then just the piles of old machinery that they're um, breaking down we get um, another variation on crane walkers after we had seen one on Trask yeah that's the water moon <clears throat> but that was definitely a modified ATAT, uh, whereas these just look like they were designed as crane walkers, so that's neat. Um, 
So Mayfeld's there, and um, the New Republic security droid uh, had resemblance to the droids we saw on the prisoner ship last season. So that kind of um, seems to be the look of <clears throat> the, the droids that the New Republic is using for prison um, guard duty. And um, as Mayfield's being taken away um, by Kara, um, it looked like there was a, an alien that he passed by when he was talking. It almost looked like um, um, Zeb's uh, species from uh, Rebels. I mean, funny. I wrote Zabrak, but that's not right. Um, when I was doing my notes, oh, I cannot remember what their species is, but um, it like we still haven't seen them in live, you know, we haven't seen Zeb in live action or anything like that. It'd be funny if they snuck it down in something like this, maybe as a test run to see how it looks like photorealistic, um, you know, in case we ever get live action rebels or anything like that. So, you know, Slave One's there since it's the new transport now that the Razor Crest is gone. And Boba's got his uh, um, upgrade now that his, he's got his armor back. You know, people are joking around like, you know, where did they have time for him to, you know, get everything cleaned and repainted and buffed out. Um, my thought is, the way Navarro was kind of cleaned up and it seemed like there's a lot of artisans and you know shops and everything in the town now who's to say that while uh, Din Djarin was visiting Kara about Mayfeld that Boba just didn't seek out a shop that you know could at least give him a paint job um, kind of clean him up so he could um, modify his look you know he still got the dark robes that he wore on, on Tatooine uh, so he's looking good and uh, of course we got Phoenix back so we get more of Ming Na Wen um, but yeah it's neat that Mayfeld is uh, just freaked out when he sees Boba and he's like oh I thought you were somebody else but there's actually somebody worse for him um, so the gang's all there not, not exactly a magnificent seven but we'll take um take the five I'll go ahead and mention you know we've talked about um, you know the real life problematic actors they're getting uh, for for this show in particular you know with Gina Carano and Rosario Dawson I've talked about them on previous episodes but you know Bill Burr he's a funny comedian and he's a, and he's a good actor as evidenced by this episode but again you know he, he does homophobic material he's made transphobic comments um, just can they get people who are <laughs> just cool with others and don't have to show the prejudices or in some cases, 
physically assault people because of prejudices. Uh, so it, it just brings the episode down. Um, when you think about that. So, you know, before I get into the performances and the content, I, I did not want to go without mentioning that again. Because especially with all the new series that were just announced by Lucasfilm, um, hopefully they pay attention to who they're hiring for these projects so that all the fans can feel included and not confronted just because of the, the real-life behaviors of some of these people. <clears throat> all right, so back to the episode. Um, I, I did like... The music leading into the title card and back to the episode was uh, a little faster and more frenetic um, from Ludwig Gorenson this week than usual um, because it's almost like like with the tragedy, the episode, you know, the, the cold open stops, we get the title card, and then you get the hit with the theme song, and then it goes into the next part of the episode. Whereas uh, with a believer here, it kind of built up and I just kind of rolled through the whole title card and then right back in with Slave One taking off. So I like that. That was a little different. And 40 years later, we get to see what the inside of Slave One looks like besides just the cockpit. You know, there was talk about what does the cargo hold look like and, you know, is there seating area to accommodate Fennec and uh, Din Djarin coming along. Yeah, it turns out the whole thing's uh, like on a gyroscope or um, I don't even know how to describe it, but, you know, it turns with the ship so you're always level, at least until you're in space and gravity's not as much of an issue <clears throat> as far as where down is. But, you know, for those of us who had the toy way back when, you know, the, it wasn't really a cockpit. It was just like you strapped Boba, uh, the Boba figure in, and you turned turned a little lever, and it pushed him, put him in position to be looking out the window. Yeah, so it's so cool to that they actually bothered with the, at least part of a set. I'm guessing some of it was CG. But, yeah, there's... Like a whole passenger area that just moves as the ship moves. Yeah, really awesome to finally see that after 40 years. <clears throat> uh, I will go ahead and point out, and maybe it's just because we're so used to it that we don't really notice, but um, it looks like uh, Rick Famuyiwa. It's Famuyiwa. I want to get the name right because, um, yeah, he deserves to have his name pronounced properly. Um, Rick Famuyiwa, um, he used a lot of wipes, like the traditional Star Wars wipes in scene transitions here. Um, seems like more than usual, but again, maybe it's just because we're so used to it we don't notice, but they were really well used here. Um, as they're, you know, once Mayfeld told them they need to go to Morak, and um, they use the Hollow projector to kind of plan the approach. There's a there's a shot where Boba's 
explaining what they're seeing on the hologram and everybody's kind of gathered around looking at it. It matches perfectly. That shot in Revenge of the Sith where Commander Cody is using the projector for Utapau um, to show Obi-Wan where he needs to go. Um, so that's the great thing about having Tamora Morrison back because I mean, he duplicated that scene just as a totally different character even though they're all the clones. And might as well mention it here. The scene where they're trying to decide who's going to go on the mission because, you know, who might be scanned um, as either being with the New Republic or wanted by the ISB. Boba's line, let's just say they might recognize my face, was just absolutely perfect. And the fact it was just so deadpan, even though he's behind the helmet. I mean, you, it's a joke that you'll instantly get if you think about who he is and how many other people have his face. And plus, like, Mayfeld's next line came, like, right after it, so there wasn't even time, you know, time for, like, oh, get it, get it. It, it was just, like, they did the line, and it was perfect and kept going, and that's what made it so brilliant. You know, just the fact they acknowledge that, yes, he looks like a bunch of former troopers. Which, at this point in the timeline, I don't know if there if there would be any active clones in the in Stormtrooper Legion. Just because of the age acceleration. You know, Captain Rex, hopefully, is still out there, but he'd be, he would be older than Boba. The way they're aging. Um, again, with... Different environments. Uh, Morak is more of a. Um, it looks like, you know, some of the Hawaiian islands where they filmed Jurassic Park or Lost. You know, it's got a mix of trees and palm trees, uh, very mountainous. <clears throat> Just keeps it different. I like it. You know, the the refinery is um, processing radonium. Uh, which has been shown on Clone Wars and Rebels, and is known to be highly explosive, so they kept the continuity there. That was cool. Uh, you know, I like that we get to see the Juggernaut vehicles again. Uh, first introduced in Clone Wars, we saw them on Kashyyyk uh, during Revenge of the Sith. Uh, they were used for prisoner transport on um, Wobani in Rogue One. <clears throat> you know, some people have pointed out you know, why would you use a ground vehicle that has to, you know, travel with in with wheels uh, to transport such volatile um, uh, not element? <sighs> Shoot, I love chemistry, but I don't know how to, you know, bridonium, whatever. It's not really a compound mineral, sure. Um, you know, why would you transport a volatile mineral uh, like that? Maybe, you know, maybe it's some explanation like if you used a hover tank or something, um, it would um, the repulsors would cause the cause it overheat, something like that. I don't know. So, um, 
Okay, once they get the whole the whole plan set up, you've got Mayfield and uh, Dan disguised as the as the drivers heading uh, towards the refinery. And uh, just the whole, well, mostly what Mayfield said because it's more of a one-sided conversation, but Uh, yeah, he, I did want to point this out because uh, Jonah Marie Macias, um, good friend of the show, uh, you know, pointed out, you know, he talks about like Alderaan and Mandalore, um, you know, they don't, they don't exist anymore, is what he says. And so she was, you know, on her, um, at Blue Jay Guys, uh, on Twitter, you should, you should be following her if you're not, um, and, she said something to the effect of, you know, is why, why does Mandalore not exist? Well, my, my thought is it's more of a perception thing uh, because you go back to the Eris, um, chapter 11, um, 9, 10, 11. Yeah. Um, when he's talking to Bo-Katan about Mandalore, he thinks Mandalore is like inhospitable and gone so to say, but she says, no, it's not, you know, it can still be reclaimed. It, it, I got the impression it's kind of like a um, district 13 from the hunger games situation where, you know, for the general perception and like the general public, they think it's been annihilated and can't support life. But secretly there's people there So anyway, uh, she raised that, um, you know, point about the, you know, why it would be considered doesn't exist on uh, on Twitter, and I wanted to give my my thought on it. But you know, the the crux of the conversation is, you know, because Dan's, he's out of his Mandalorian uniform, but he's still wearing a helmet, so he's not showing his face. And then Mayfeld just asked him, you know, what is it? You can't take off your Mando helmet or you can't show your face? What, what you know, what's the holdup for you? And, and again, it goes back to what Bo-Katan talked about because, you know, the Mandalorians like her don't worry about that. They still take off their helmets. But as she point, as she's told Din Djarin, he's part of a religious sect of Mandalorians that you don't take your helmet off and you don't have it taken off from you. But that's the question. Is it about the the helmet or you just can't show your face? So it makes him question his beliefs and, um, and the whole thing about when, when you get desperate, you know, how do you bend your own rules? Just, yeah, and like an upcoming scene, it's just, thought-provoking about your own ideal and what gets you through your, your day. So, you know, they drive through the little village and it's human-looking people who are in the village. But then they get attacked later by um, 
know, very alien looking people. So it kind of, kind of makes you wonder, who are the natives on Morak? Um, you know, were these, were the humans brought in for slave labor? And then the aliens are there, you know, to try to get, try to protect their land, or is it the other way around? Um, you know, and somebody pointed out in the concept art, the attackers were human. But it wouldn't make sense if, you know, they're, they're there working the mines, why would they blow it up? So that's probably why they made them alien to differentiate. But it did make me wonder, like, who's the actual natives? Plus, it also made me think of the line in Solo when they were on Mimban. And Han said, it's their planet, we're the hostiles. <clears throat> so the Empire just doing what they do. But, yeah, it did make me question who the natives were. So then, yes, we get the um, the whole convoy sequence where uh, the other juggernauts are being destroyed and they have to fight their way to the refinery, <clears throat> fight off all the invaders, or the, the pirates. So they say even though they weren't looting, they were just trying to destroy. <clears throat> you know, that part of it seemed, um, you know, a very Raiders of the Lost Ark when Indy was trying to get the Ark, uh, the truck carrying the Ark. Um, it made me think of the Dark Knight when, you know, they're transporting Harvey Dent and they have the uh, their armored truck and then the Joker shows up with uh, the semi and uh, is trying to take him out with rocket launchers and, you know, they take down the helicopter on the route. Um, you know, there's even a parallel, you know, this, they're driving the juggernaut, they see the burned out vehicles on the side from previous attacks. And then, you, you know, you had the fire truck on fire and the dark night. That to me was the parallel. Um, and then, you know, it was just a cool action scene when Den's fighting off the pirates on top of the juggernaut. And he did get to use a spear for a little bit. Like, uh, when he threw it out at a, an alien or two to knock them off. So he's getting practice for when he hopefully uses a Beskar spear against uh, Moff Gideon. So yeah, then when they get to the refinery and, you know, the TIE fighters come in to save the day and uh, you've got all the stormtroopers and shore troopers there to fight off the last of the, the pirates. It's, you know, it's interesting because since they're undercover, we're almost cheering for the Empire to win there because it means that Din and Mayfeld will survive. It, yeah, it was it was weird. You're like, wow, it's great to see the Empire show up. Uh, whereas usually we want them to them to be the losers. And they, and they even top it off, you know, as they're driving in, they're being saluted and cheered and uh, you know, the whole thing's heroic. You know, perverse sort of way. Uh, it's just different from what we've seen. But, you know, Star Wars is all about points of view. So, um, you know, we get to the whole point of the episode, which was to get to a terminal so that uh, Mayfeld can access and get the coordinates for Moff Gideon's cruiser. Uh, I do have to point out, uh, I've mentioned it several times, but Little Han loves to play... Uh, Disney Infinity. 
And when you play Star Wars games within Disney Infinity, you uh, there's something called Hack Terminal, where you go up and, and if you're playing PlayStation, you hit square, and then you have to like move your joystick around to a certain position. It's either up, down, left, or right. And then when you get to the correct one that the computer wants, you hit um, like triangle or X, you know. And then you have to do that three times to unlock a terminal, and then it will open a door or unlock a, like a game you can play to get coins or whatever. So when he was younger, he wasn't as good at it. So he said, Dad, can you can you do hack terminal? Um, he's got he's gotten better at it. He's he can do hack terminal himself. So this episode, the whole point was that they needed to hack terminal. So um, I don't think little Han got the connection, but I I noticed <laughs> just because it's something I've helped him with in his games. Um, oh yeah, uh, so Valen Hess, who was um, Mayfeld's commanding officer before he's played by Richard Brake who um, some people point out was the original Night King on Game of Thrones uh, I remember him he was Joe Chill in Batman Begins you know the one who killed the Thomas and Martha Wayne and later on was killed in front of Bruce and then let him become Batman so I thought you know I thought he kind of looked familiar and then I looked up his name after seeing him in the credits and then it showed his, you know, like IMDB and I was like, holy crap, it's Joe Chill. So just, just yeah, great actor and we'll get to the table scene. Now, before I forget, I've got to give credit to, um, see, I don't know if it was Bill Burr doing improv or if it was Rick, um, writing it this way, but the office space joke was just incredible uh, about the TBS reports, which you may, if you're not paying that close attention, you may have missed it. Uh, you know, we, we watch it with subtitles on so we can catch references. Uh, but as soon as he said TBS reports, it's like, holy crap, they just did an office space joke in Star Wars. Um, but, you know, that was it. Yeah. Um, but it was still great. <clears throat> so, uh, what, what can you say about Pedro Pascal's performance here? You know, we've only seen him without the helmet once, and that was with IG-11. But here you get an entire scene with him. And it with minimal dialogue, just what he did physically to portray a character we've followed for, you know, 15 episodes now, but to give such a fresh look at him is amazing. And, um, it was based on a Reddit article or you know, a Reddit post and it was posted on Twitter. Watch the way his head moves. Go back and watch this the whole scene where he has his helmet off and just watch the way he moves his head. And it was pointed out like when he wants to look at somebody and interact with them, he turns his head. Otherwise he's, you know, just turns his eyes a little bit because 
that's the way somebody who's worn a helmet his entire adult life would move his head to to look at and talk to somebody. And um, like when after uh, Mayfeld shoots Hess, and then he sees the shore trooper who had just got his tray. He turns all the way around, you know, twists his body and turns all the way around in his chair to look at him because that's how he has to look at somebody with a helmet on. I mean, it's just an amazing performance because since it's not always been Pedro in the outfit, you know, there's been other actors who have done the stunts and stuff like that. Just the thought he put into it in the research to make sure he's moving like Din Djarin would be moving without his without his helmet on was just so nuanced and I'm glad somebody pointed it out because I probably wouldn't have noticed you know he just he comes in he does a scene but no he's acting like someone who's worn a helmet for 20 years would move it you know he gives off that body language and it's, it's incredible. Um, so, and then, you know, and again, it's about like, how do you bend the rules, you know, when you're desperate? Um, so we get to the table scene after Hess wants to get him a drink for, bringing in the juggernaut safely. And we get, you know, the reference to Operation Cinder, which is the first reference to it in live action. But that is, it's been in the Alphabet Squadron books. It's been in Battlefront 2. It's been in the Shattered Empire comics. It is, Operation Cinder is the, the contingency plan that Palpatine had put into place for basically the scouring of key planets upon his death. Um, so after Return of the Jedi, these uh, I can't remember what they were called, but like these Sentinel droids, which had like a holographic projection of Palpatine's face and their helmet, so almost as if like his uh, you know like his hologram or ghost is speaking to you, <clears throat> delivered instructions to key imperial command you know to uh, and it had like these orbital weapons that would raise um, cities burn them out uh, it was either like key imperial sites that didn't need to be didn't need to fall into rebel hands or um, like rebel sympathetic um, planets you know, the Operation Cinder was like the plan to take those out so that they are of no use. Uh, you know, it's like if I'm if I'm going to be gone, everything's going to be gone. Um, in Battlefront 2, you defend Naboo uh, during Operation Cinder. Um, and again, it's a, an important part of Shattered Empire and uh, the first Alphabet Squadron book. And then Burning Khan, where Mayfeld served, is a direct reference to the Uprising mobile game 
They came out in 2015, uh, which I've talked about it before because they also um, like the video of the Death Star explosion being broadcast in Chapter 9 on Tatooine. Uh, that's from the game. But Burn and Khan is it's in the, uh, the Anoite sector, you know, when you're Hoth and Bespin. That's um, where the game starts. Um, just right, right after Return of the Jedi. So you don't actually see Operation Sender or see it referred to in the game, but it um, it's uh, Burning Con is referenced in Shattered Empire as being part of it. So it's all connected and just nice deep cut there for those of us who enjoyed playing the game. And then and I'll also mention, you know, they mentioned that the refineries and facilities like this are run by um, ex-Imperial Security Bureau, the ISB, um, Moff Gideon being one of those. So that would indicate that, you know, the Imperial Remnant, like the ones who immediately escaped to the uh, Unknown Regions after the Battle of Jakku, that is the First Order. But these remnants who stuck around... That, you know, it's, has reveals that their plan was to, for, you know, weaken or fracture the New Republic, which didn't do great for itself. Um, that's also in Alphabet Squadrons, a tremendous trilogy. Uh, there's one more book to go. I highly recommend that by Alexander Freed, who I found out recently also wrote. Uh, the story in Uprising. It gets into how they, the rebels weren't really prepared to, you know, have a new, uh, create a new government. It was just about like bringing down the empire. So, you know, any Imperial women who stayed didn't really have to do much. Um, you know, the new Republic was kind of failing on its own, but, you know, as Hesp shows, they, just kind of bided their time and are doing these facilities like, you know, the refi uh, right, you know, refining Rhydonium on Morak and doing the experiments on Navarro um, so that, you know, they can cause more chaos, further fracture and weaken the New Republic and then return as the glorious saviors. So that's the plan of this remnant, apparently. So that's been a really neat underlying plot of season two to see what the return of this remnant of the empire is like and what their plan is. But it's so well written by Rick Famuyiwa. Like as Hess is explaining all this and you're seeing Mayfeld's regret about what happened on Burning Con, about all the lives that were lost on both sides. It, it, you know, it just furthers what he said earlier in the convoy. I mean, just the performances here were amazing, and mostly the physical acting from Pedro Pascal. I mean, that's what turned this in from a not a, it's a, in no way a filler episode, 
um, it, what turned it from just a setup episode into something very deep and thought provoking. Um, that's just what made the episode this scene to the point where Mayfeld just can't take it anymore and kills Hess and then they mount their escape. And then we get into, you know, the exciting action at the end um, where they're fighting off all the troopers. And then you've got Kara and uh, Fennec, um, you know, as snipers taking out whoever they can so that Boba can swoop in and get them off on Slave One. And, you know, Mayfeld, they said it last season, he's, he was an ex-Imperial sharpshooter. So as we, we get to see that with the cycler rifle and, yeah, little Han liked that part. Um, so it was neat to see, like, yes, he was that good at uh, shooting. Yeah. And it's going to help him sleep at night. And... You know, as, as Slave One's being chased by the TIE Fighters, my thought was he would just swing around and take them out with a folly of his cannons, um, like Django tried to do in Attack of the Clones. But no, he opens the back door and there's a seismic charge. And I just started, well, like when we watched it the first time on Friday morning, I just started to geek out. I was like, yes. And, and little Han was like, what? what is it? What is it? I was like, he's using the seismic charge, like, Attack of the Clones. And he's like, oh yeah. He doesn't watch um, episode two as much as he does three. He loves Revenge of the Sith. Um, so I don't think he's not as attached to uh, the seismic charge as I am, but I'll never forget that sound in the theater. The first time I set off and I had to hear it like in an atmosphere and just taking out the TIE fighters and not like asteroids and everything. So it was unique enough, but it's still the same beautiful thing. So that, that was a nice touch. So, you know, they have the information they need. They have the coordinates uh, to somewhere. Um, Mayfeld, you know, they, they let him go. And um, whether or not he returns in this or Rangers of the New Republic, we'll see. Um, I talked about it. I did an episode where I just talked about what we found out about these new series. You know, Rangers of the New Republic will be a spinoff as well as Soka. That so it's all in the Mandalorian timeline, and all those all three shows will culminate into an event, whether that's a mini series or a movie on Disney Plus. We don't know yet. Um, I mean, I'm hoping it's. You know, like Carson Teva, the X-Wing pilot played by um, Paul um, Sun Young Lee. Um, like, I hope it's, they're like the main part of the episode, uh, that series. It's been speculation that Karen Mayfeld may show up on that. Uh, we'll see. But so Mayfeld's still out there. And then the episode ends, we get to see um, Moff Gideon and Kitty O'Brien's officer who needs a name because she, she's awesome and looks badass. Um, but Din Djarin's message to Moff Gideon 
it's an exact copy of what Gideon said to them on Navarro in chapter 7. Um, so that, that was neat. Um, and it's the first time we've seen him shaken like that, like physically, like, oh, crap. Because you know, he's he's always very confident and uh, you know sure about what's going on, but now he's like, oh, this guy, he means business. He wants to come after me. So we are ready to go for the season finale for chapter sixteen. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, Den's got his group. They're going to try to rescue Grogu who wasn't even in the episode first first time I gotta think they're gonna be planet side somewhere maybe it's Camino maybe it's somewhere else um, and they have to do the rescue there as opposed to storm the cruiser um, I gotta think Boba and Finnick will survive and then once they rescue Grogu you know they'll be like well we completed our part of the deal we're gonna go off and do our own thing um, maybe Kara dies. I don't know. Um, but I think Din will get Grogu back by the end of the season and then just set up. See, I think like, you know, how, how they tell in the very end of last season, it was revealed that Gideon survived and he has the dark saber. I, I think like the end of this season will be the appearance of whichever Jedi Grogu contacted on Typhon. My thought, my guess is it's Quinlan Voss, but um, we'll see. I think it's just going to be like, you know, a hectic find Grogu at whatever facility, you know, get him out. Um, Din Djarin will fight Gideon hand to hand, like the Beskar spear versus the dark saber. I don't think I don't think Moff Gideon gets killed off. I think you know Dijarin will do enough to defeat him in battle, and then they'll escape. Uh, but that threat will still be there for season three. Uh, but that's my guess. But we'll find out in just a few days, and I'll review that. And then I will have a season two review. I've got a special guest for that lined up. I uh, cannot wait for you to uh, find out about that. That should be um, before January 1st uh, to have this season two review out. Uh, but thank you for listening to this. Um, gone a little bit longer than usual, but there's just so much to digest uh, in this one more than we expected. Uh, but you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Radio Dakar, R-A-D-I-O-D-Q-A-R. All the previous Radio Dakar episodes, all the reviews and interviews and summaries are on most major podcast platforms, Anchor, Google, Apple, Spotify, Overcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Um, hope you'll be back here next week with us. Until then, may the force be with you. <laughs>